Welcome to History Class After Hours. I'm Joseph Barra, and joining me today is KJ. Wow. And we are going to continue our talk on the Mexican-American War. So last week, we were uh, the origins of the Mexican-American War. Basically, U.S. and Mexican government were fighting over a disputed border of what is now Texas. We sent some troops. They got attacked. They won. And that's where we left off. All right, so now Zachary Taylor, old rough and ready, is still in charge, and he's got a plan. So remember, his orders were to only go secure everything north of the Rio Grande River. Well, now he's going to go past the Rio Grande River and go to Mexico. So the new plan is to go take Mexico City and basically use it as a bargaining chip so they could get a lot more territory. That's the game plan now. All right. So after success in Texas, Taylor planned to move south into Mexico. His first objective, though, was to take a city called Monterey. Um, it was referred to the Gateway of the South because it controlled, like, the only mountain pass that went from where Taylor was to Mexico City. Um, he would send 6,000 men to Camargo to set up the supply depot first, um, but he's going to have issues with his supply uh, trains one, he lacks wagons, never good, and steamships to bring him the stuff from the water. So he has to start buying mules from the locals, and that is going, going to be his supply train. Um, by August, Taylor began receiving new volunteers. 9,000 are going to join his ranks. Um, so if you remember from last week, the United States government is going to call for 50,000 volunteers to sign up. Well, here's 9,000 of them. Um, but they aren't very good. They're all sick. They're not used to the hot conditions of Mexico. So they're all getting like dysentery, cholera, yellow fever, all that fun stuff. Um, so he just leaves them behind. He's like, you guys are more of a hindrance than you are a, a benefit to me at this point. So you guys just sit here, suffer from your diseases, <laughs> and I'm going to go forward. Um, so he also has a limited amount of artillery because he thought it was worthless. The artillery was worthless? Yes. Bold strategy when trying to take a city. Mm -hmm. You would think you'd want artillery. You know, no artillery, no men. Yes. All good. And mounted infantry is going to come with them. Um, so these are guys on horses, and when it comes time, time to fight, they get off the horses. But the reason why they're important is they are armed with a brand new technology, so they are still using muskets, but now they have what are called percussion caps, opposed to the flintlocks that everyone else is using. If you don't know what a flintlock is, you have the hammer, you have a pan, you put gunpowder in a pan, all right? There's a rock above the pan, pull the trigger, the hammer comes down, strikes the other rock, creates a spark, igniting a flame of some sort in the pan, which then goes into the barrel, ignites the charge, which shoots out the projectile. Very inaccurate. There's about a two-second delay, and a massive flash goes before the guy's face that's about to fire. So halftime, they're not even looking. Percussion cap is just what we think of like the old um, cap guns that we had as kids. You really just put a little cap on it, pull the trigger, and everything happens. Revolutionary. All right. So um, at Monterey, 
Um, you're going to have Mexican forces there, but the Mexican forces were a little bit disheveled, put it nicely. Um, so the Mexican government's national defense policy ordered each Mexican to form its own militia. Um, the colonel in charge of Monterey militia reported to Mexico City that he had only 400 untrained men and only 130 guns. Sounds like it'll go good for him. Yes, that's definitely not enough to hold on to a major city. Uh, since the government realized that the strategic importance of defending Monterey, regular army brigades and militias from other towns in northern Mexico soon arrived, and soon they would have over 5,000 men defending the city. Um, and a little bit about Monterey, like I said, it's the gateway to the south. So in the front of the city or on the northern end of the city is a flat plain, but on the southern end are like, looks like Denver. Have you ever been to Denver? Denver is a weird city. Half of it's in this, this flat plain where you can see forever, and then the other half is the Rocky Mountains. That's what Monterey looks like. Same same type of thing going on there. Uh, so the Mexican troops strengthened the already well-fortified city. Mountains from the northeast protected the city on the north, and river protected the southern part of the city. Two hills protected the northwestern side of the city. There they had a fort named the Citadel, or the Black Fort. Um, and they had three other forts that kind of ringed around the back edges and the, let's see, what flank would that be? Their left flank. <laughs> All right. The city was also surrounded by a wall, which had holes for gun ports. If only they had guns. In addition, the northwestern hillsides had more fortified artillery positions. So Taylor is going to establish a camp a few miles outside the city where he and his generals uh, made a plan of action. They decided to split the army into two groups, one under the command of Taylor and the other under the command of General William Worth. Worth is going to have two objectives. The first is to capture the southern road to Saltillo, another strategically placed city. The second is to take two fortified hills northwest of the city. Uh, and that is to take some of the direct fire off of Worth, or in order to take some of the direct fire off of Worth, Taylor was to uh, initiate a diversionary skirmish near the Citadel. Um, we call that a feint in military terms. Basically, you just march out there, let the enemy see you so they're stuck there and they can't move their, their guys to where an actual attack is occurring. Uh, Worth had a group of Texas Rangers under his command. Um, the Texas Rangers are like the shock troops of the American Army. They're pretty ruthless. They got no problem killing anybody they see. All right. They actually get banned from the state of Texas eventually, and they're brought back to go hunt down Bonnie and Clyde. But yeah, they're 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 a pretty ruthless group. Um so uh with Texas Rangers under the command of Colonel Jack Hayes and Captain Ben McCullough, um, they are going to approach the road to Saltillo. Uh, they're going to met, meet some resistance, um, but with the assistance of the Rangers and his infantry, Worth repelled the attacks against him um, and managed to capture the road, which is going to cut off basically that supply line to Monterey for the Mexican army. Worth then moves his troops towards Federation Hill, the first of the two hills he wanted to capture. The hill had two gun emplacements and 500 men. The American forces under Worth attacked the hill, overwhelmed the Mexican defenders, and eventually captured the hill. Mexican gun emplacements could not be lowered sufficiently to fire upon the soldiers coming up the hill. So the thing with cannons, especially during this time period, they only had a limited amount of elevation change on them. And you couldn't 
lower the barrel if you're on a hill the advantage is you can shoot from really far away this advantage is if they get close to you you can't lower the barrel enough to actually shoot at them you you hear this throughout several military engagements all right so while we're succeeded on federation hill taylor encountered trouble the maneuver was poorly executed Colonel John Garland overcommitted his troops in the direction of the Citadel, and they received crossfire between the Citadel and another fort. A regiment from Tennessee sustained high casualties, yet had success assisting the troops under Garland. Remainder of the Tennessee troops were able to capture one of the outlying forts. Approximately 400 American soldiers had been killed or wounded, basically in this feint. <laughs> so that's a bad feint. Typically with a feint, you're not actually going to fight. So his fate became an attack. Like a mini battle. A mini battle, yeah. So Worth is going to regroup his men for the attack on Independence Hill, the second of the two hills. This hill was the more strongly fortified of the two. It had fortified guns at the top. It also had a fortified area in the middle of the hill for additional defense. Worth waited until 3 in the morning to begin moving his troops up the hill under the cover of darkness. By sunrise, Worth had 1,000 men in place to attack the fortified gun emplacement. Again, the Americans had success in taking the top gun emplacement because of the inability of Mexican guns to get an aim on the advancing American soldiers. Also, Mexican artillery is horrible. Um, earlier in the war, at the Battle of Palo Alto and Resaca de la Palma, they didn't have good gunpowder. Um, I think we talked about this last week, and where they were firing cannonballs at American troops the muzzle velocity was so slow that American troops could just move out of the way. It'd be like my five-year-old rolling bowling balls at him. All right, so not, not ideal. Uh, the Americans then turned and began firing on the fortification in the middle of the hill, known as the Bishop's Palace. The Americans attacked the palace from two sides, and it was only a short time before it was overrun. Worth then used uh, the gun emplacement at the top of Independence Hill to begin firing upon the city himself. Um, that night, Ampudia would withdraw all his troops, except those from the Citadel, to come into Monterey and prepare to defend it. The following day, Taylor's troops maneuvered around the heavy barrage of gunfire from the Citadel and entered the city. Worth also entered the city with his troops from the opposite end. The fighting in the city became tenacious, with every inch of the city being contested. Um, the houses in the city acted as barriers or mini forts where citizens and soldiers assaulted the American soldiers. And this is where the Texas Rangers are going to come in handy, and they're going to introduce a tactic that we still use in the Army today. All right, rather than walking down the city streets where you're an open target, they just go into a house, clear it, then they take a demolition charge, they blow a hole in the side of the house and a hole in the next house, and they just go to the next house. All right, it's still what the Army does today. As nightfall, as nightfall came, the soldiers were close to the middle of the town when Taylor withdrew from the city as a safety precaution. After the withdrawal of his troops, Taylor continued an, an artillery bombardment of the city. Um, General Ampudias had unwisely chosen a location for his headquarters that lay in a stockpile of ammunition. Pretty smart. Why? I got an idea, guys. See all this ammunition? Let's sit in the middle of it. That's the guy leading Mexico. Yeah, it's going, it's going to go really well. Um, 
He sent a messenger to Taylor to request a truce. Negotiators from both sides met to discuss the terms of the truce. The terms stated that after an eight-week armistice, Ampudia's army would be able to exit the city with guns in tow and one artillery battery. This eight weeks was a crucial time for Taylor. In this time, he was able to rest his troops, re-fortify his supply line, and basically take out his next move. But it is not going to be all sunshine for Taylor. Because there's a man in D.C. who is not happy with him. That man is James Polk. James Polk is going to be like, you are not here to sign treaties. You are here to conquer their army. What are you doing? So, yeah, there's some political backlash for all that. Um, Another outcome, Mexican soldiers were very demoralized by this because they had the Americans outnumbered, outsupplied, and outgunned on this heavily fortified position, and they still lost. Um, But the army now has a springboard to enter further into Mexican territory. Um, And then right around this time, you have the return of a man whose name is Santa Ana. So Santa Ana had been exiled to Cuba, all right, and he secretly contacts Polk while in Cuba. He's like, hey, I got an idea. Like, put me back in charge of Mexico. I will sign a treaty with you. I'll give you the land you want. Just put me back in charge. Polk's like, oh, this sounds amazing. So he basically gets Santa Ana on a boat, sends him back to Mexico. Santa Ana takes power and quickly takes over the army to kick out the Americans. No one saw it coming. No one saw it coming. So Santa Ana would return from exile. He's going to lead a force of 20,000 men to dislodge the American forces in the north. The problem is most of them are poor farmers and conscripts, which never goes well in the history of warfare. All right. Um, Also at Monterey, you get the introduction of a group of men called the San Patricos or Tricios. I don't know how to pronounce it. Basically St. Patrick's. Uh, These were actually Catholic Irish immigrants. Okay. They were American. But if you know anything about American history, the Irish were treated like garbage. Also, the Catholics were treated like garbage. So they were they basically said, why are we fighting for a country that treats us like garbage when we have Catholics to the south that won't do so? So they switch sides and they fight for the Mexicans. And now they're still like honored and revered in Mexico. They have their own monument in Mexico City. The ambassador of Ireland like and the president of Mexico like. They have a ceremony every year to honor these guys. They were artillerymen, so they kind of helped out, but because of what they were working with, they didn't make much of an impact. All right. So what we got now is Taylor's forces are in charge of Monterey. All right. And now Santa Ana is on his way to dislodge them. Um, so Santa Ana left uh, San Luis Potosi with an army of about 20,000 men on January 27th, 1847. Um His army between January 27th and February 13th is going to travel about 100 miles of the 240 miles they're supposed to go. Uh, However, the 140 miles isn't going to go well. Um, It's going to be marked with death, desertion, and desert. Um, What happened is there was this freak snowstorm that hit northern Mexico, (laughs) and none of his men were prepared for it. And they all, a bunch of them froze to death. Snowstorm in Mexico. All right. So by the time the Mexican army arrived at Agua Nueva, the number only, they numbered only 15,000. Santa Ana had pushed them hard, often without adequate rest or water. 
many of his soldiers didn't have proper uniforms, shoes, or tents to sleep in. Santa Ana expected to meet the American forces in Agua Nueva, but they had abandoned it the day before, having burned buildings and stores of grain. Okay, because the position they held would be difficult to defend, Taylor let General Wool choose the battlefield location. He chose a location near the Hacienda of Buena Vista because it had mountains and hills that could be fortified and ravines which would restrict the movement of the infantry. So what's going on is Taylor knows he's highly outnumbered, and he's telling his guy, listen, you need to pick a really good defensible position, otherwise we are in trouble. So Santa Ana arrived and left Agua Nueva on February 22nd without allowing his troops to get water or rest. Oh, that's always solid right before a battle. Um, when they arrived at Buena Vesta, they were tired, thirsty, and hungry. Awesome. That's what you want your troops being Ready right before fight. a battle. Tired, thirsty, and hungry. That's when you do your best because you have lots of energy and your mind is perfectly Same. ready to go. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, yet, that same afternoon, Santa Ana ordered his men to attack the eastern end of the American position. They exchanged gunfire and cannon fire throughout the afternoon and evening. Neither side gained or lost much during the initial battle. Uh, reason being is because the Mexican army attacked. So what they're going to do is they're going to attack both American flanks, and they're going to attack them piecemeal. So they attacked the left one first. But because the United States has mobile artillery, we're able to get the artillery on the right to the left to help out. They stop the attack. They then go attack the right, able to move all that artillery back over to the right. All right. Um, so neither side gained or lost much during that initial battle. On the second day, Santa Ana grouped his army into three columns. Um, General Ignacio de Mora y Villamil led the first column. It's a fun name. General Ampudia, he's back. He's back. All right, commanded a column that was to attack the American position on the slopes. General Manuel Maria Lombardini and General Francisco Pacheo led the infantry, the main column. Uh, General Manuel Torrena, once the governor of California, led an artillery battery, and Santa Anna himself was in charge of the reserve troops. Oh, what a man, leading from the front. Even after the various problems of the march and the first day's battles, the Mexican army held the better odds of three soldiers to every one American. It's a pretty good ratio, but in reality, you want it four to one. Uh, Taylor left the battlefield with men to return and protect his supplies at Saltillao, uh, leaving General Wool in charge of the remaining troops. Captain John Washington was the officer in charge of the artillery. When the battle began, one of the Mexican columns headed for the road to Saltillo and was held off by American artillery. General Lombardini's column attacked the American position held by troops under the command of Captain John O'Brien. Lombardini's troops of over 7,000 men quickly overran O'Brien's um, and were able to keep one of the artillery pieces. Basically, those 7,000 men were going up against about 400 guys from Indiana. It didn't go well for them. They ran. I think most people would run in that in that type of scenario. All right. Um, even after reinforcements, Mexican soldiers overtook the eastern end of the American line. Ampudia was also successful in leading his column. They overran the American positions on the hills. Taylor arrived from Saltillo with reinforcements. After several cavalry attacks, Taylor was able to reestablish a battle line. Um, Basically, what you got going on here is 
the Mexicans have superior numbers and they are just overrunning. Um, they, they are overrunning the American lines. Um, you are going to have a guy who kind of rushes forward with the, the reinforcements of Americans, Jefferson Davis. He's leading a group of Mississippians that are expert riflemen, and they are going to be able to slow the Mexican advance. Um, so um, <clears throat> throughout the day, Santa Ana ordered troops towards the center of the American battle line. Taylor uses artillery and fire directly on the oncoming troops. Um, he is even going to tell one of his officers, um, Braxton Bragg, who will be another guy who makes a name for himself, even though he's kind of a moron, um, during the Civil War, double shot your guns and give them hell, Bragg, meaning loading double canister, which is pretty much making a cannon into a massive shotgun. Um, eventually, um, the Mexican advance is going to be stopped. Um, eventually, towards late afternoon, the battle lost its initial intensity. The Americans had survived the Mexican offensive. Um, and then you get this kind of weird, funny story where um, they attacked on George Washington's birthday. <laughs> and that kind of became like a, a, a rally cry. Um, and they, when they were um, interrogating a American soldier that they captured... Um, they came under the idea that George Washington was still alive. They thought he was leading the American troops. Who had died 50 years earlier. Yes. Um, a captured U.S. soldier said that Mexicans found it hard to believe that General Washington had not been leading the troops himself, but he had been dead for nearly 50 years. Sort, sort of a compliment to Taylor, I guess. I guess, yeah. Solid intelligence on their part. Military intelligence. It's like, what's going on? All right. We got this George Washington guy. That's all right. So, um, and what's going to happen is um, after the Mexican attack, they're, 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 they're pushed back. You're going to have a guy walk towards the American lines with a white flag, basically calling for a truce. It calls, it catches the Americans completely off guard. They're like, why? We're, we're the ones in trouble here. Why are they doing this? What the guy was actually doing was he was buying time for the rest of the Mexican army to kind of regroup and reform a line. Um, <clears throat> what's going to happen, though, is at night, Santa Ana is going to keep his fires going, and then he's going to sneak off. Hmm. And that is the battle of, uh, what was it? Why can't I think? Oh, geez. Buena Vista. There we go. All right. So Santa Ana believed his army was on the verge of exhaustion and collapse due to the lack of provisions. Um, some Mexicans were so, soldiers were so driven by hunger that that's the only reason why they attacked, because they were hoping to find food on dead American bodies. Um, so that is the reason why he withdraws. But once again, he using a play out of George Washington's playbook, keep the fire going. Enemy thinks you're still there. And then under the cover of darkness, you leave. All right. Um, basically, Taylor, he's like, yeah, I'm in no situation to um, pursue him. So he backs off and it's just going to kind of hold Monterey. Um, so the U.S. would suffer about 600 casualties while the Mexican army lost about 350 
Uh, U.S. troops soon learned to respect um, the fighting quality of the Mexican Army. American Army, though, however, would be in control of northern Mexico. And what you're going to see is uh, Taylor's done. Zachary Taylor is now done with the war. One of the reasons why is prior to Buena Vista, Winfield Scott is planning an invasion of Veracruz, which is, you know, like Cancun is somewhere around that area. Um, and he's been pulling troops out of Taylor's ranks to support the invasion. So that's why Taylor was so outmanned was because Winfield Scott was doing this to him. All right. And that's where we're going to leave off. And we're going to talk about that next week. Winfield Scott amphibious assault on Mexico and his march to Mexico City. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in to History Class After Hours, the show where we talk about the things your history teachers didn't have time to teach you. If you wanted to stay updated on upcoming events for the History Club, please visit www.starsmillhistoryc.wixsite.com forward slash 2020. If you liked this episode, please share it with your friends and subscribe to our channel on iTunes Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening. Be on the lookout for new episodes, and we'll be posting every week. Until next time, stay curious.